The word entangled is a strong word. In Hebrews 12.1, it says that sin easily entangles us. I can't help but think of Frodo in The Lord of the Rings as he's in the spider's web in that terrible lair of the spider. And it almost seems like he's done for, but he's set free. You know, the Bible says that if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. How do we become unentangled by sin? How can we get the victory over it? We'll learn more about that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Now, Absalom, verse 9, happened to meet the servants of David, for Absalom was riding on his mule. A mule was a royal uh, mode of transport. And the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak. Now, remember, they're in a forest. It seems to be very dense. And his head caught fast in the oak. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, or NIV says he was in midair, when the mule that was under him kept going. Now, there are some commentators that believe that Absalom may have been looking around, distracted in the battle. The mule is riding along, and his neck got caught between a branch and the bows of a branch. That's a possibility. There are others, and I think more ancient commentators believe his hair got caught in the branch. Whatever it may be, he was dangling there, suspended in midair between heaven and earth, and the donkey kept going. <laughs> Hey! I think Absalom was probably whistling for the donkey. Come back! Donkey kept going, just like Absalom's kingdom was about to disappear. The donkey kept going. And so, if you look at chapter 17, verse 14, it tells us who's behind this. 17, 14 says, middle of the verse, for the Lord had ordained to thwart the counsel of Ahithophel in order that the, light, the Lord might bring what? Calamity on Absalom. The Lord, who is over nature, was behind this. Job 5.13 says, He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. And when a certain man saw it, saw what happened to Absalom, he told Joab, and it said, Behold, I just, NIV, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. He ran over to the commander. Joab seems to be over the whole army. And he says, I saw Absalom hanging in a tree. This will be the end of me. It became a Sabbath school song. You guys never heard that one before? Absalom hanging in the tree? That's because it never existed before right now. <laughs> so your perplexed look is correct. <laughs> Absalom was dangling in the tree, low-hanging fruit, a sitting duck. I don't know what else. How else to describe it? An Israeli piñata? That's good. That's good. I'll add that for second service. God stopped Absalom right in his tracks with a tree. God can use anything he wants to use. And by the way, he has a history of using donkeys as well. Remember that story? Oh, yes. So the mule rode off. The tree had, you know, Absalom by the neck. 
And Absalom's just dangling there. The guy that was so handsome, so good looking, so powerful, had this great strategic plan in place and a tree branch stopped him. Come on now, there's some humor there. But on a serious note, anyone who hangs on a tree, according to Deuteronomy 21:23, is under what? The curse of God. Isn't it interesting that Ahithophel hung himself and now we have Absalom hanging in a tree and Deuteronomy 21:23 says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. This is how they would uh, execute someone who had violated the Torah, the law. Had Absalom violated the law? Oh, yes. Who was meeting out the judgment? Who put him on the tree, if you will? The Lord. The Lord was dealing with Absalom. And we know that Jesus Christ was hung on a tree for us, though completely innocent. God the Father treated him as though he had committed our sins, including the sins of Absalom, the sins of the whole world. And then Job said to the man, verse 11, who had told him, now behold, you saw him. Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. I would have given you a trophy and, and money. I would have given you treasure, a champion's belt. It would have been yours, kid. And the man said to Joab, even if I should receive a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not put out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king charged you and Abishai and Ittai saying, protect for me, the young man, Absalom. Don't do any harm to him. Otherwise, if I had dealt treacherously against his life 13 and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. You wouldn't have had my back. Don't expect that I would have break, broken the king's law here. And Joab said, I will not waste any more time here with you. So he took, you know, this is a bit of, bit of a impugning of Joab's character, right? Because Joab is telling people to go against the direct command of the king. And Joab was a bit of a loose cannon at times. And so Joab said, I'm not, I'm not gonna hear you anymore, little man, get out of the way. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. He took three spears, and killed the king's son while he dangled there. Remember, the account is very abridged, so we don't have the travel that took place. How long did Absalom dangle there? We don't know, but we know that Absalom is there in the tree, and he's stuck, and don't you imagine he was probably crying out to people? Don't you think there were some people around? Help me, get me out of here! And apparently nobody came to Absalom's rescue. And now Joab takes these spears, shows up at the tree, and pierces them into the heart of Absalom. When Jesus was dying on the cross in John 19.34, one of the Roman soldiers, to make sure he was dead, took a spear and pressed it into his heart. And blood and water flowed out. And, you know, the language here uh, seems to be that there was a, a mortal wound given by Joab. But notice what happens. And 10 young men who carried Joab's armor, their armor bearers for this commander, gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. They finished him off. So I don't know if he was still barely alive. I don't know if in, in the uh, thing that Joab did, if he, he 
stabbed him and then he fell down from the tree and then these 10 circled around Absalom and finished him off. But whatever the case may be, Absalom was dead. The Bible says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. I want you guys to see this for a second because this is extremely important for your understanding of the theology of the cross. Jesus was hung on a tree on the cross, not because he sinned. He became accursed for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus is affixed to the cross, it is not for his transgressions. It's for yours. It's for mine. And Jesus is being treated as a common criminal as though he had sinned against God the Father because he decided he would take the place that you and I deserved. And he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He died for the sinful ways of people like Absalom and people like Michael, and you could put your name in there. He died on the tree for you and for me. And Joab blew the trumpet 16 and the people returned from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained the people. Once Absalom was dead, they figured all bets were off. They blew the shofar. The people heard it. They took Absalom and they cast him into a deep pit in the forest. They did not bury him in a family tomb, which would be an honorable burial, but put him in a pit how apropos, and erected over him a very great heap of stones and all Israel fled each to his tent. By the way, Achan was buried in this way under stones and so was Ai, Joshua 7.26 and Joshua 8.29. And all Israel on the side of Absalom uh, fled to his tent. They heard Absalom was dead. They heard what had happened. They fled. Everybody went home and they were probably hoping that David would not deal harshly with him. And now Absalom in his lifetime had taken up and set up for himself a pillar which is in the king's valley, a sign of what he thought he would be. For he said, I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. There is a monument in Israel today. They don't think it's, it's back to this time. But this, this king's valley may have been part of the Kidron Valley, and Absalom in chapter 14, verse 27, is said to have had three sons. So what happened? All we can say is it would appear that Absalom's sons died young. And so at this point in Absalom's life, he builds a monument to preserve his name, but his monument is a monument of shame. When I say Absalom, what do you think of? If you haven't read this story before, now from this point forward, you hear Absalom and you're gonna think, traitor, fool, unwise. See, they can make a monument to you. The question is, what does the monument represent? You could have a statue out in front of a stadium. You can have a monument in a cemetery, but what you did with that dash between two dates is all that really matters. You have one life. One dash between a date you're born and a date you die. I, I read a lot of theology books and I, I'm getting more and more interested in dates of people's lives as I read. And I'll read a scholar and 
It'll say he was born in 1854 and died in 1908. Now I start calculating. Shoot, he was in his 50s. And then I read another scholar and he was in his 50s. Another one in his 60s. Another one was in his 70s. And another one died in his early 50s. And then there's some scholars, they write a book and it... Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Hey, I want to tell you something that's exciting happening here at the church. We have a college that we've started. We offer a two-year diploma in Christian apologetics and theology. We have two exciting classes coming up with great instructors. It's Hidden Riches of Church History from the Resurrection to the Reformation. And we have a class on Christian philosophy. How do we know what truth is? We're going to look at epistemology and some other subjects like that. Are you a working adult? Have you just graduated from high school and looking to go deeper in your faith? The tuition is very low and the instruction is excellent. And the classes start in July. Are you interested? Do you want to go deeper in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to give answers for the hope that you have in the public square? Well, check it out today. It's thetruthacademy.com, thetruthacademy.com. Sign up today, find out all the information, and get equipped. God bless you. If you haven't read this story before, now from this point forward, you hear Absalom and you're going to think, traitor, fool, unwise. See, they can make a monument to you. The question is, what does the monument represent? You could have a statue out in front of a stadium. You can have a monument in a cemetery. But what you did with that dash between two dates is all that really matters. You have one life, one dash between a date you're born and a date you die. I I read a lot of theology books. And I'm getting more and more interested in dates of people's lives as I read. And I'll read a scholar and... It'll say he was born in 1854 and died in 1908. Now I start calculating. Shoot, he was in his 50s. And then I read another scholar and he was in his 50s. Another one in his 60s. Another one was in his 70s. And another one died in his early 50s. And then there's some scholars, they write a book and it gives the date of their birth and there's a dash and there's no date at the end yet because they're still alive. And I wonder if you read your own book, how that makes you feel. Hmm. (laughs) Let's see, there is going to be another date there somewhere. Someone's going to write something with an end date on there at some point. And the question is going to be, what, how did I live? Did I live for what is going to last? The kingdom of God? What's your monument? What's your legacy? Well, Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, said to, uh, the son of Zadok said, please let me run and bring the king news that the Lord had freed him from the hand of his enemies, 20. But Joab said to him, you are not the man to carry news this day, but you shall carry news another day. However, you shall carry no news today because the king's son is dead. Now, Ahamaz was thinking, well, this is great. I want to be, I want to be a runner and I'm going to go run to the king's location. I'm going to bring the happy news that He's been freed and everybody's fleeing back and, and the war's over. But, but the response was, no, you're not gonna be the one to carry the news because I've got news for you. The king is not gonna see this as good news. This is gonna be bittersweet. Yes, his life is now protected, but his son is dead. 
This is gospel language, by the way. To carry news is gospel language. And Romans 10, 15 says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Here's the image from Romans 10, 15. A runner, no cell phone, no texting back in the day, would run. And the way that he ran as he approached the king's location would tell you everything about how the war was going. If he ran kind of downhearted, then the king would say, oh, the news is bad. If he was running like this, <laughs> then it was good. Some of you have never run like this before. But anyway, next time you exercise, try to exercise with a smile on your face. Anyway, that's just some free advice. <laughs> 21. Then Joab said to the Cushite, he's a foreigner from the area south of Egypt, part of the sons of Ham, Genesis 10, 6. He had attached himself to David. So the Cushite bowed and ran. He said, you go and tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed and ran. I don't know if uh, bowed to Joab and ran. I don't know if Joab wanted a foreigner to go just in case something bad happened. I mean, David had a bit of a reputation of hearing bad news and people wouldn't last in his presence. So Ahamaz, the son of Zadok, once more uh, said once more to Joab, whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, why would you run, my son, since you have no reward for going? But whatever happens, he said, I will run. I feel like running, king. I want to run or to Joab. And so he said to him, run. Then Ahamaz ran by the way of the plain and passed up the Cushite. Now, I don't know if this became a race or what, but Ahamaz uh, went ahead and David was sitting between the two gates. The watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running by himself. The watchman called to, and told the king, who was certainly waiting for news of how the battle had gone. And the king said, if he is by himself, there is good news in his mouth, 25. And he came nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, behold, another man running by himself. And the king said, this one also is bringing good news. And the watchman said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Ahamaz, the son of Zadok. The king said, this is a good man and comes with good news. And Ahamaz came and said to the king, all is well, that's shalom, all is well, peace. And he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, blessed is the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my Lord the king. I bring peace, I bring good news. And the king said, here's, here's his focus. Is it well with the young man, Absalom? And Ahamaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I, I did not know what it was. He kind of tried to skirt the issue. He knew that the king's son was dead. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside, he stood still, and behold, the Cushite arrived. And the Cushite said, let my lord the king receive good news for the Lord has freed you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Then the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, let the enemies of my Lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. May anyone who tries to ever do anything against you be like him. And David knew that Absalom was dead. It's hard to deliver news like this. It's hard to say to someone in a dark moment of their life, your loved one is gone. 
I was reading Warren Wearsby, and he said, the Cushite tried to share the hard news with, a, with tact and a positive view. Someone has defined tact as the knack of making a point without making an enemy. Tact is the knack of making a point without making an enemy. And tact can become something that you get better at as you go on in life. But there's no easy way to say to the king, your son is dead. And so he said, well, let anybody who comes up against you be like this young man. And David knew. And David, when he was told a story by Nathan in chapter 12, verse 6, said there should be a fourfold repayment. Think of this. The baby died. The uh, relationship between Bathsheba and David. Tamar was raped. Amnon was slain. And now Absalom is dead. And David has tasted once again the fourfold judgment of his own sin. By his own judgment, it was judged back to him. Jesus said, by your own measure of judgment, it will be judged back to you. And even though David was forgiven, he had some deep cost and deep hurt. Final verse. And the king was deeply moved and he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he, he said as he walked, he was pacing and he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, oh Absalom, my son, my son. Would I have died in the tree instead of you? And a thousand years later, the greater, greater David would say, I will die in the tree instead of you. I will do what David desired to do, to die for a wayward son. I will die for you. And while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Died for us and demonstrated his love for us in that while we were wayward Absaloms, do you feel it for yourself? While I was an enemy of God, that's when Jesus died for me. Not when I had my life perfectly together. Not when everything, you know, when I could say, okay, maybe I'll be acceptable in heaven's eyes. No, when I was Absalom, my king died on the tree for me and for you. That's the gospel. Good news of great joy. That's for all the people. I believe that David's tears are a foreshadowing of the tears of Jesus who cried at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who cried over the city of Jerusalem, who weeps over a rebellious son who has died. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, And God is not willing that any perish, but what? All come to repentance. See, no matter what had happened, David would always love his son. And no matter what you and I do, this is hard to fathom in our world that's so wired for achievement gets you back grace or favor. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Now, God wants you to work. He wants you to be actively serving him. But you don't get saved, saved by works. You get saved by what? Grace through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift 
of God. Father, we are humbled by your love for us. At some point in eternity past, and I don't know how all of that works, Jesus, you said, I will die in the tree for Absalom's. Father, I will pay their price. And though you were completely innocent, Jesus, you were treated on the tree as though you had committed my sins and the collective sins of all humanity. And it's so hard to even fathom that you became a curse for us that we might become in you the righteousness of God. You took our shame, our sin, our shortcomings, our lusts, all the evils that we have done, and you nailed them to the cross, to the tree. Oh, what a glorious Savior we have who would die for sins that others committed. David longed to be the man that could die for his son, but you are the God who died for your children. I'm gonna ask you to keep your head and heart bowed if you are not sure that you're in that new covenant through the blood of Jesus. If you're not sure that maybe you feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm Absalom against my heavenly father. I've been, I've been trying to usurp his throne. I've, I've been trying to sit on my own throne. Why don't you just come to him now? He wants you to have life. But you have, you have to have a moment when you decide to join his kingdom, to be part of his army, to not fight him anymore, to not think that you can save yourself. Let go of your bitterness. Let go of the desire to control everything and release that to the Lord. Something like this. Would you keep your head and heart bowed? If you've not done this, do it now. Jesus Thank you so much, pray it if it's you, for coming down and dying on that cross for me. Thank you that you took my pain, my shame, my sin, my guilt, and you took it and nailed it to the cross. Thank you for forgiveness in you. I turn from my sin, I turn from trying to do things my own way, and I turn to you through your son. I ask that you'd forgive me I believe in your death on the cross, your resurrection from the dead. I turn my life over to you. Father, for those who have done that or maybe prodigals who have recommitted their lives, may you wash them in your grace. May you bless them with the sweetness of removing the load of guilt and weight of sin and tangled messes that we create. May you untangle the mess. And may you make us truly free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Hey, I want to tell you something that's exciting happening here at the church. We have a college that we've started. We offer a two-year diploma in Christian apologetics and theology. We have two exciting classes coming up with great instructors. It's Hidden Riches of Church History from the Resurrection to the Reformation. And we have a class on Christian philosophy. How do we know what truth is? We're going to look at epistemology and some other subjects like that. Are you a working adult? Have you just graduated from high school and looking to go deeper in your faith? The tuition is very low and the instruction is excellent. And the classes start in July. Are you interested? Do you want to go deeper in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to give answers? for the hope that you have in the public square? Well, check it out today. It's thetruthacademy.com. 
thetruthacademy.com. Sign up today, find out all the information, and get equipped. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.